This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, will robots take my job? We're asking this question today to David Chan. Now, David works with City Bible Forum and also contracts as a technology advisor to major corporations. He's a self-confessed tech geek, and he joins me now. Please welcome David Chan. Good to be here, Rob. Well, David, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Good uh, to be here. T- you're a tech geek. You also contract as a technology advisor. So yes. what made you interested in technology? <laughs> uh, so I think it's in my blood, but I think there's... Uh, if, I, if I trace it back, I think what actually happened was... I was into a whole bunch of extracurricular activities which didn't involve computers and mm-hmm. then my parents when I was a little kid brought home a computer one day and I think that was the end of me. So what actually happened was I started using it and I managed to actually just delete everything from the hard drive <laughs> uh, for, while, while my parents were out. And then I had to had to desperately try to build it back up again yeah. uh, before my parents got home so that they wouldn't notice. And I managed to do that but I think from that I caught the bug and then you know that well, was Game over what, is it about, what is it about technology that interests you? Uh, it's this sense of being able to problem solve and this sense of being able to create something new yeah. uh, in ways which are, you know, sort of uh, well-constructed and elegant uh, to create something that wasn't there before. Right, so, yeah. and, 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 well, and for myself as well, to create that uh, using a keyboard and mouse rather yeah. than using my hands because I'm not very... Um, Good with uh, your hands. Good, <laughs> good with that. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Or just reconstruct what was there before. Yeah. Rather right. than uh, mm-hmm. if you've destroyed what your parents gave you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, trivia. Well, to kick up bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're asking David Chan about robots. Will they take my job? So, Dave, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about robots taking jobs. Mm-hmm. Now, do you feel qualified at all? Uh, we'll see how we go. I'll answer at the end of the question. <laughs> okay, well, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, which job, usually done by a person, has been taken by a robot on the cruise ship Quantum of the Seas? Is it A, a chef, B, a bartender, C, the ship captain, or D, the ship comedian? <laughs> Huh. Um, Captain might be alarming at this stage, even though they're probably using a lot of that technology already. Yeah. I think maybe maybe uh, bartender? Is it B? Yeah. And the correct answer is B. Yeah, yes, that's right. The bartender. <laughs> at the Bionic Bar on the Quantum of the Seas, robotic bartenders can mix your drinks. Now, what do you what do you think about the idea of robotic comedians? Do you think that they would work well? <laughs> uh, I have some, I have some uh, robot jokes. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Rob. So, <laughs> so why was the robot angry? Because someone kept pushing his buttons. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what do you call a pirate droid? R two D two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, do you think there's a future for uh, robots, robot comedians? Uh, I'm hoping they're better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, question two. You're on your way to passing the quiz. Yep. So, question two. The website willrobotstakemyjob.com examines how susceptible jobs are to computerization mm-hmm. and gives a percentage estimate of the automation risk level. Mm. So, according to willrobotstakemyjob.com, which one of the following jobs has the highest likelihood of being taken by a robot? Okay, is it A, a telemarketer, B, a receptionist, C, management consultant, or D, comedian? Um, well, I think the more repetitive stuff... Oh, it depends what they mean by receptionist. Come on. 
Uh, okay, okay, okay. Between A and B, and I'm going to go with annoyingly, the telemarketers are going to be, you know, replaced with robots. And a. Uh, so you're going to go for yeah, a, yeah. a. And the correct a. answer is in fact A. Uh, that's right. The telemarketer. It's yeah. actually 99% likely to be taken by a robot. That's horrifying. We yeah. can't stop them. <laughs> <laughs> Receptionists, 96% likely. Uh, management analysts or management consultants, 13% likely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And comedians and actors, actually 37% likely. Really? Perhaps there could be some more robot jokes. I've got some more. Uh, yeah. If you'd like. If you'd like. Uh, uh, what did the uh, man uh, say to his dead robot? Rust in peace. <laughs> Anyway, so Dave, um, your job is safe from robots for the time being because you got two of our two smaller questions right. A big round of applause for David. Thank you. Now, Dave, this is no laughing matter. For according to willrobotstakemyjob.com, about 47% of employment in the US is at risk due to computerization. Uh, another survey predicted that 35% of today's jobs could go to robots by 2034. So, Dave, is it really true that robots will lead to large-scale job losses in the coming years? Yeah, so I think there's legitimate concern there. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think it's just the media playing it up. I mean, even working myself in technology and technology advice, that's definitely something that's always on, you know, sort of uh, always on your mind. You're automating things to uh, try to do things that you couldn't do in the past, but at the same time, in automating a lot of these functions, uh, you're often, you know, sort of taking away from some of the things that a human used to be doing. Yeah, now, there is an argument that, you know, you're freeing them up to do other things, but there is a net effect where I think people, what they were doing one day is replaced by automation and machines the other so day. So you're pursuing efficiency in some sense, organisational efficiency? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely there's a sense of efficiency, but also they want to do the next thing. So it's this balancing act where efficiency takes away, but then is it always freeing up for the next thing for mm. you know another set of jobs? So it's, it's a tricky question, yeah. uh, especially with technology these days where robots isn't just you know, sort of, you know, R2-D2, but yeah. is a bit more subtle. It's information technologies a lot of the time. Mm. What does that even look like and mean? So are there any particularly vulnerable job sectors? Yeah, so if we look at the automation side of things, I think it's anything where it's sort of more uh, manually repeatable and repetitive and... Like uh, telemarketers. <laughs> like telemarketers. Uh, then, then there's areas where automation efficiency there. Also for some areas which might be dangerous for, for human occupation, that you send robots in to inspect the bombs now rather yeah. than sending people in. So there's that sort of thing as well. So they're sort of jobs that you want to be replaced. Yeah, yeah by, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So but why is this happening? Then. So what particular developments in robotics and mechanisation is allowing this to happen? Yeah, so uh, in one sense, uh, we're feeling it now where it feels like it's the culmination point of a number of different vectors where you've got increasing processing power from computers over the past, you know, that are doubling according to Moore's law every couple of years, cheap storage, a ubiquitous sort of global network in the internet, mm -hmm. uh, as well as like, you know, sensors and everything. And I mean, we we've all carry around smartphones these days, which are essentially the culmination of all of those things all at once, which we're almost in some ways are a natural extension of ourselves that we're attached to in everyday life. So I think it's a culmination of those things which are producing this, you know, sort of fertile environment for uh, major change uh, through uh, artificial intelligence and, you know, automation. Right, yeah. So, the, so jobs are going to be lost, but people have predicted that the end of work many times. I mean, in the 1930s, mm -hmm. John Maynard Keynes thought that the innovations would mean that most people spend their time on leisure activities. In mm. the 1960s, US President Lyndon Johnson established a presidential commission to investigate fears that automation was permanently reducing the amount of work available. 
1978, the historian Ian Turner predicted that by 1988, at least a quarter of the Australian workforce would be made redundant by technological change. So mm. there still are plenty of jobs. So mm -hmm. isn't this concern about the robot invasion unnecessary fear-mongering? So yes and no, is it fear-mongering? I, th I think if you were to look back at when those things were commissioned, what did you say, the 1978? There 1960, was... Yeah, 78, <laughs> they thought that a, a quarter of the jobs were going to go in 10 years. Yeah, so what, what would be interesting would be to say, well, that quarter of jobs that they're looking at do they actually still exist? And the answer will probably be, if not more of those jobs from 1978 don't exist anymore. Yeah. But yet, at a macro level, there's new jobs which are created as a result of that. So I think in one sense, um, it is fear-mongering in terms of there are continuing to be, like from what we've seen so far historically, there's always a concern that there's jobs being wiped out, but a lot of the people who are involved in technology would also say it's creating new jobs and new markets, new economies. But I'd also caution there as well. So while that might be true at a macroeconomic level, Macro being at the, uh, sort of over the top. Yeah, so, so overall, overall number of jobs or workforce, that's, uh, I guess, of little help for any given individual, any given person who, you know, has this job to feed their families, who, you know, where you may not be in a position to reskill, to take up these new jobs in the, in the yeah. stage of life where you're at, and then that becomes a very difficult thing. So even though there's more jobs at a macro level, uh, there's a dislocation that occur. And I think increasingly as well, outside of just a dislocation of changing the job force, um, there's also a growing sort of a digital divide, a sort of inequality of who has access uh, to those, I guess, more elite jobs where you're you know, free to exercise your mind and guide the technology and guide the, the, guide the work. Silicon Valley is an interesting case, right? Yeah. So uh, if you look at Silicon Valley, uh, those on, I think this was conducted in 2013, those on $100,000 a year saw an increase over the next few years in their, in their wages, whereas those on less than $100,000 a year saw a decrease in their wages over a five-year period. So mm. this is growing inequality yeah, that accompanies this as mm. well. So this is one of the fears then about uh, yeah. uh, losing our jobs to robots. I think so. Growing yeah. inequality. Well, any other fears? So if that's the immediate fear, I think there is also when we say robots are taking my uh, robots are taking our jobs, I think these days the conversation is much more around well the growing tide of artificial intelligence, the growing tide of you know these information technologies which are sort of self learning. Uh, yeah, self learning and are much more difficult to understand uh, from the outside. It's not it's much less tangible, and I think there it's a concern, especially in the Western world where we've placed such a primacy. It's almost sacrosanct how much we've placed a value on human intelligence and human rationality. It's the domain of human to think rationally. Mm. So there's the short-term pragmatic of losing the job, but I think there's a long-term general sort of existential concern around, well, what's left for humans then if computers can do a lot of this thinking which previously was mm. the domain of only of human beings. So this is what's different about this particular yeah. sort of technological revolution compared to some of the previous industrial and technological revolutions. Yeah, I think so, I think so. Um, where the machines used to be replacing our bodies and our muscles, uh, this time they're replacing our minds. In 1984, the rock band Queen wrote a song called Machines Back to Human with the lyrics. It's a machine's world, don't tell me I ain't got no soul. When the machines take over, it ain't no place for rock and roll. So will robots not, not only take our jobs, but music and our souls? <laughs> um.
I can sing it to you if you like. Maybe I should do it in robot voice. Would that yeah. help? No, that would not help. <laughs> <laughs> this interview in, in robot voice, maybe I should. Well, speak. I actually, I actually did listen to the song, right? And it's interesting that that song is um, is is done in a like it's is done in a synthetic robot voice. So they say you know it's going to take away rock and roll. Well, I would I would argue that you know the advent of the electric guitar is a big part of rock and roll. So you see, you know, and if you so it's machines are involved. No, machines <laughs> machines are involved. Um, the technology in a broad sense is involved. Even mm. if you go back, you know, you oh well, let's turn the dial back then to mm. like Beethoven and Bach and all sorts of stuff. Even those instruments, the piano is an intricate machine. Yeah. So I would say machines taking away music and soul is is yeah. It's well, a about it? So but this is one of the challenges though. The, is the the idea that there is going to be potentially our soul is going to be attacked by this information revolution. Yeah, so I think there's definitely a concern that it is uh, dehumanising in some way. I think where it comes to is a question mark around how are we using our technology then? So if we think of technologies as tools, where tools are just an extension of ourselves, then how are we using this technology? What are we amplifying? What is the the what is our human nature that we are essentially vesting into mm. the technology, and where is that leading us? Mm. Um, I think technology has a possibility of amplifying both the good in our nature and also the bad in our nature. I mean, mm. the, the classic case I think is you know people refer to or look at nuclear nuclear technology. You can you can create a nuclear bomb, mm -hmm. uh, or you can create nuclear power. So, what are industry and <clears throat> thought leaders think about these changes? Like, are they embracing them or are they concerned? There's there's a pretty broad spectrum, uh, but there's definitely pockets industry leaders which do. Uh, like, you know, sort of big thinkers who do show concern. So Elon Musk, who's the, the guy between, you know, sort of SpaceX and Tesla, together with uh, Bill Gates, uh, who's the, you know, sort of founding uh, partner of uh, Microsoft, and the late Stephen Hawking, they got together. These are, these are big thinkers. Mm -hmm. They got together to, to actively form a group to try to control and guide artificial intelligence because I think there's a recognition that it can, like you are saying, it can self-reinforce, it can self-optimise and then it could easily spiral out of control uh, with the wrong... So uh, robots could potentially take over the world. Yeah, so they're, they're, it's, like it's, it sounds it sounds science fiction, doesn't it? But there's a concern there. I mean, in in a in a Reddit uh, forum, uh, Bill Gates was asked the question about this, and he's saying uh, related to jobs, and he was saying that um, essentially, you know, robots uh, will take our jobs. After that is when we actually should start getting uh, concerned. So the jobs is just the tip of the iceberg from his perspective, unless we actually somehow govern and guide uh, the artificial intelligence technology. So what's the danger um, then with rogue AI? Yeah, so I think this is getting a little bit science fiction. But, but, but it's but, a potential um, reality though. Yeah, well, well potential reality. So the, the AI these days is defined as essentially uh, algorithms that can self-correct. So that's what makes them learning. Uh, and they optimise to a particular goal. So, for example, the the uh, there's an AI, I forget what it's called, that, that you know, one, beat the grandmaster in chess. And the way that worked wasn't because a human coded up, you know, a very clever set of rules. What the human coded into the machine was a sense of, was a self-learning algorithm, which... And the computer basically played against itself repeated matches, like hundreds of thousands of matches in the space of you know a couple of hours, uh, because you know it's, it's a going computer. It's a computer. <laughs> yeah. um, Self-optimized itself until the best algorithm was the one that defeated the the, the thing, grandmaster. The, the grandmaster. 
Now, that's, that makes sense for us in a, where chess has a set of rules which are very strict. It has a outcome which is very clearly defined um, around you know, getting your opposition yeah. in checkmate. But then as we increasingly use technology much more in, in, in all of life, then what are those rules? What are uh, the goals that we're sort of putting in? So a, an example is if we coded artificial intelligence to uh, say, well, human happiness is the ultimate goal, what's, then... What's happiness? Yeah, what's happiness? And is it okay if the machine essentially injects, you know, puts everyone into a coma, injects dopamine into into our brains, you know, in a sci-fi, <laughs> sci-fi world? Is that meeting the goal? Is that the most efficient way of meeting human happiness? So it comes to a point where it almost <clears> becomes sort of no moral compass or you just can't really control where this... AI could take the world. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's the more concern. It's not the it's not the pop culture version of a of a evil overlord male- malevolent machine. It's much more a rogue AI, mm. uh, which is um, which has been programmed wrong. So it's optimizing to the wrong thing, mm. and we can't rein it back in. Well, then, how do we prevent then a rogue AI? Uh, <laughs> it's a good question. I think there's lots of engineering questions, but f- for myself, <laughs> and perhaps this is surprising for a lot of people, I think the Bible actually points us towards um, good rules and goals for all of human life. Yeah. Well, why do you say that? I mean, it's part of bigger questions. We do reflect on the Bible, but mm-hmm. maybe we could hear a bit about why you think the Bible's worth following. So, Dave, what convinced you then to become a Christian believer? So... I didn't grow up in a in a Christian family. I, I started going along to, uh, to church, <laughs> not for the best of reasons. My my cousin at the time basically so, so had good tech there, was it? <laughs> Far off. I, I, um, my cousin at the time basically said, "There's a youth group there. Uh, there's not enough guys. Uh, please come along." So I'm a red-blooded uh, teenage uh, male. <laughs> so that was good enough reason for me. <laughs> But like you're saying, I was a, I was a bit of a, a tech geek yeah. all the way along. This was in the 90s when people were very... Grunge was the, the music of choice and everyone was apathetic about everything. And I encountered this group of kids who... Um, who were really passionate and had found a purpose and meaning to their life. Uh, so then, you know, I started reading the Bible. I started asking some questions, mm-hmm. and it became uh, it became much more of a coherent and viable set of beliefs. But I wouldn't say that's the point where I became a Christian. That, I think that just all that created was actually, you know, what the Bible has something to say. It mm. is it is not nuts. It is coherent and makes sense. Um, how I became a Christian, though, is a bit of a mystery, I think, even to myself. I think it was <laughs> what was what was viable one day became uh, a deep-seated faith and belief another day. Uh, you'd say I kind of woke up and goes, it's not only just true, but it helps explain... I, I feel like I am part of it. I am right. joined in with Jesus, and it is now through this I can actually see um, uh, how it, I guess... Mm, better explains and better gives a sense of fulfillment for all of life. Mm, mm. That was a satisfying decision for you to make. So this week's big question is asking if robots will take my job, but robots aren't really in the Bible <laughs> now, are they, Dave? So does this make the Bible kind of irrelevant to this topic? <laughs> uh, well, obviously not, if I, I think that actually has something to say about it. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> but I think broader than that, though, I think um, the Bible also paints a much broader meta narrative and story about what it means to be human and why we are here and i think the humanizing aspect of that uh in the broad story of history 
is what helps us make sense of how technology fits. Mm. Well, a passage that is fundamental to the uh, you know, biblical reflection on humanity and what humanizes us is in the very first book of the Bible, mm. Genesis. And chapter 1 outlines how God has created the earth and the creatures of the earth. And then in chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Um, so is it significant then that humans are the last thing created in the Genesis narrative? I mean, in and of itself, something has to go last. So maybe, maybe not in and of itself being the last thing created. But it also says, it also makes a distinction for humans where the rest of creation was good. Humans are described as very good. And here in uh, chapter 127, it explicitly states that God created humanity in his image. In some sense, we're... So what does that mean? Yeah, so I think in some sense, we are a reflection of God. And it's some of the next passage, I think, plays that out a little bit. Well, it says we are told to increase in number and fill uh, the earth and the sea and the sky and the ground. I think there's an element of to that. To rule over, rule over the, those yeah, animals. Yeah, and, yeah. So I think that's definitely a part of it coming at the next verse. But if you look at the overarching story, it's I think it's elements of just as God creates, we have a creative desire and bent. Uh, just as God is relational, we also want to share in relationship as well. It's got some indication that uh, humans have a particular status um, about us that is you know, sort of key in creation. I think that resonates with our experience uh, in everyday life as yeah. well. It, and on the one sense, speaking of technology, it helps affirm humanness and humanity even as we're dealing with technology. But it also, which is missing from some other uh, worldviews, it also helps us to paint a sense of, actually this sense of reaching for the stars is an innate and you know desirable thing. Yeah. So how does this mm. then help us when we're considering the rise of the robots, this <clears> idea <throat> of the humanity being created in the image of God. Yeah, so I think it, uh, it helps us by framing our technology and what we're doing as the advancements in technology to humanise it, where humans' dignity and a human sense of progress is innately uh, part of who we are, and but and, and it can't be lost. Which is which is, and we look around, and I think that's that's tricky, right? It's we look around, and it's not always like that. Uh, we see greed, and we see uh, you know sort of people wanting to get up on get up on top, and that's what you know the following chapters in Genesis talk about this you know introduction of sin uh, into the world. So on the one hand, it gives us a sense of who we are and where we're going. Uh, and I think that's explicitly, it's especially important amidst the brokenness of our world mm. as to, to be able to guide that. And or the potential and changing, na changing nature of our world where mm. humanity is under threat perhaps when we may lose our souls, yeah. as Queen sung yeah. all those years ago. Mm. Yeah. Now the idea of the image of God is picked up and developed later in the Bible and in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now in the New Testament letter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus as the image of God. He says in Colossians 1.15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, Dave, what, is, what does this mean? What, how does this help us understand, you know, Jesus being the image of God, help us think through this question? So I think it's definitely alluding back to the image of God language from Genesis. But the distinction here is that where humans are created in the image of God, mm. uh, in Genesis, in Colossians, what we're seeing is Jesus is described, he is 
the image of God, where we are a reflection of God. Yeah. He is God himself, is what this, you know, this passage is explaining. So it's hooking us back to that Genesis uh, image of God language. But at the same time, like I said before, there's, there's a brokenness, a uh, sense where that original uh, desire from Genesis chapter 1 isn't what we're seeing today. Mm. I think where this personally is helpful for myself then is that it's not just Jesus is God and it's some abstract philosophy, but like I was, even in my testimony before, there's this joining in uh, with this perfect image of God, which, yeah. um, who, in his, who restores and brings back our full humanity, brings back our true humanity. Like the following chapter uses that same language of uh, being in him, mm. uh, but rather than just all of creation, it's actually referring to all of ourselves. Mm. We are made full, made complete uh, in, in, Christ. in Christ. Well, that language is in Colossians 1, 2, where he says, mm. uh, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's that kind of mm. that experience you have of feeling in Christ or being joined to exactly. this, this image of God. As a technology practitioner, that's really important. It's not, uh, it's not just some philosophy that I'm trying to bring to bear in my, in my technology work. It is much more, I am in Christ and I, that helps me to uh, actively in my everyday job yeah. to uh, try to work on technology in a humane way. What do you mean by that? Uh, to at least think through, to not just uh, go through and think through efficiency and see people only as numbers, but to really keep try to keep front and centre what it means to be human. How does Jesus being the image of God then help us deal with the, the immediate fear of losing my job? For, you know, for example, telemarketers, receptionists, etc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How should they respond? So if at a macro sense, it helps us to understand where the part that technology plays in the, uh, in the everyday sense, my hope, my, my sense of security and identity is no longer in my job, but is also in Christ. So as you see how it helps uh, in the macro sense of where we're going with technology uh, and where machines are, are, are heading towards, but it also helps me in my everyday. I, I personally don't have that much of a fear of losing my own job. And I'm well aware that, you know, sort of computer programmer is at, you know, sort of 30% or something like that as <laughs> yeah. far as being, being replaced. And I think that's, um, yeah, a real... Uh, security and hope that I, I find my full identity and fullness even as a human, my ultimate hope and security is in Christ. Mm. So David, will robots take my job? So I think yes, uh, they always have uh, been taking jobs, they've been uh, also making jobs. The deeper concern is what type of work and what type of jobs uh, will it be ones which are humane and uphold human dignity or not? And then at the everyday sense, I think there is a uh, deep hope and security that we can have in Christ even amidst the change and turmoil. Hmm. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question, will robots take my job? From Colossians 1, 15 and 17, which is speaking about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, he is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, David Chan. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. 
go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.